It's Monday, July 15th, 2019. I'm Jeremiah Simmerman, and this is episode 215 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician today. That musician is clarinetist and composer Aaron Novick. Let's have a listen. Aaron is starting uh, his week-long Stone residency tomorrow night at the Stone at the New School. And he dropped by last week to uh, talk about that and a lot of other things. Today on the show, Aaron Novick. How have you guys been? I've been sick for uh, three weeks. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I've never experienced this before. You can probably hear in my voice that I'm congested. I don't know if this is just the new reality for me. This is insane. If the last three weeks are any indication, I think from here on out, I will always be suffering a head cold of some degree. And I think I'm uh, maybe sick in other ways. I think I'm sick of this of doing this podcast. I'm definitely sick of the New York music scene right now and and kind of New York in general. I think at various points in today's show, you will hear a level of saltiness from me that I generally kind of try to keep pushed down. At least, you know, I try not to bring it onto the mics, but it is just such a drag out there right now. In so many ways. I don't know that it's maybe specific to this time, but just, it's just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to work this stuff out. I'm trying to deal with things in a healthy way and sort of declutter my mind. Uh, there's just I'm just frustrated about so many things. And I want to be healthy and I want to be productive. But the combination of how uninspired I am by a lot of the music that's taking place around me, coupled with my own frustrations uh, about lack of opportunity. And I don't know if I'm just entering a weird period of my life, you know, where I'm looking back at age 27 to 34, realizing that that might have been a very specific time. Like I peaked, things were working, there was a bit of momentum. And that was that. That was like a window that opened and closed. I, I just, I, I'm having a really hard time right now getting things done. And I don't know if I'm, I feel like I'm going crazy in some ways, but like I'm trying to book a tour right now. I can't get people to respond to me. I'm, I'm you know, I I put out a record last year. I contacted uh, uh, a, a critic from the New York Times, never wrote back to me. He came up to me at a show a month or two ago. I was playing a show, never met this person, walked right up to me to just say, hey, I've never listened to your podcast. I know I'm a little bit crazy, but what am I supposed to do with that? I literally said back to this guy, oh, well, you know, if and when you decide to, there might be some good stuff in there for you to check out. And and he looked me right in the eye and said, no, I don't really have time for stuff like that. And And this is just like one example. You know, and that's that's my my frustra- It's part of my frustration uh, as a musician right now. But then this podcast, like, I just don't know how much or how long I really want to keep going with it. 
I don't know how or if it's relevant to a music scene whose relevance I don't know how much I care about anymore. Sorry if the, hey Aaron, sorry your show is starting this way. We'll we'll, uh, we'll get into Aaron in a little bit, but listening back to today's show as I was editing it, I I, I can hear uh, the words coming out of my mouth at various points, and it's certainly something that's been boiling up. I, you know, no one owes me anything. I I I get, accept, and believe that. But I, you know, at some point when you're when you're doing something creative and you're putting it out into the world, like you need something to kind of bite back a little bit. If you want to take your thing to the next level, uh, you know, as an outward experience, there there needs to be some some something that that helps you realize it on a greater level. And quite honestly, it just feels pathetic most of the time these days. What's the difference between? a hobby and a profession is it a hobby is it art i've got two records in the can right now i'm really proud of and i don't know what or if anything i'm gonna do with them i i'm just really kind of burnt out on this this system right now a system that i think is more fucked than it's ever been and maybe it's this time of year i hate this time of year i don't like the heat for i've never been a, a summertime person but this is the time of year where I watch all of my peers go off and fly around the world, you know, playing these gigantic festivals, being compensated well and treated really well. And that's never been an opportunity to me. That's never been available to me. Every fucking thing that I've done, I've had to do myself and I'm sick of it. All right. Today on the show, Aaron Novick. Aaron, once again, sorry that a uh, little salt, a little salt to start the show. Uh, what do you guys know about Aaron? Aaron is a clarinetist who moved to New York City about five years ago. Previous to that, he'd been in the Bay Area uh, working for several years with, you know, all of the Bay greats, many of whom have migrated eastward and now live here. Uh, and I'm putting this episode up today because starting tomorrow night, as I mentioned, Aaron is kicking off a residency at the Stone, and he's doing it in style. Concurrent with his uh, residency at the Stone, he's releasing five EPs. So for each night of music, there is an EP coming out associated with that music. I don't think anyone's ever done that before, and it's cool. I've always said, if you have an opportunity, you should stretch it out as much as you can, and I think Aaron has certainly done that. I'll actually be playing with Aaron on one of the nights. I have not set foot into the new new uh, uh, stone. I think I mentioned it last week with Jeff Tobias. I, I, I can't... Anyway, I'll, I'll be playing... I'll be at the stone at the new school uh, for the first time this Friday night in a pretty cool group that Aaron's put together with Ava Mendoza, myself. Uh, we made a record with guitar player Matt Hollenberg from Cleric. He can't make the gig, unfortunately, but... Um, Nick Millivoy will be there. And, and the whole week is looking great. Uh, a lot of music from musicians from San Francisco, a lot of musicians from New York. In addition to his music, Aaron is a, an illustrator, a comic book artist, and there's just a lot of meticulous detail to everything he does. 
is a fabulous musician. He is a sweet and kind-hearted person, and today is a good conversation. If you want to find out more about Aaron Novick, go to AaronNovick.com. Lots of uh, information on the new music there. And if you want to learn more and, and hopefully check out some of these performances this week, go to thestonenyc.com. So check it out, thestonenyc.com. That's it. Um, I don't know. We'll talk to you next week. Here's my conversation with Aaron Novick. That's good to know that something like that exists. We got all kinds of yeah. mise en place here. Yeah, so this is for the water. I'm a little nervous, by the way. Don't be nervous. I just... Uh, if talking in general, or... I listened to you on WFMU. Oh, yeah, I sounded like a... You sounded great. I, th- I thought you sounded way more relaxed than I expected you to. I was. Why? Were you high? <laughs> I mean, you, you tend to be kind of nervous. I'm no, yeah, you know. That's kind of part of the... All right, so, well, okay, well, then let's let's get unnervous. This is a rice whiskey that you've brought by Moto Spirits here in... Distilled and bottled in Brooklyn, New York. So I'm I'm suspicious and skeptical already. Let's see. Let's give it. Well, a, the other one that it looked like um, Dewey Decimal System card, and I was like, that's a little too. As long as Brooklyn isn't spelt in some stupid like German way, like I, I, I I'm willing to give it to give it the benefit of the doubt. But let's start with the. All right. Well, we'll start with that. Now let's give it a sniff. Wow, that's it smells not like what I was uh, that that yeah that is not what I was expecting. It smells kind of medicinal. That is not my grandfather's whiskey. <laughs> so I should. I should have. It's a gift for oh, you. Thank you. Well, I do appreciate it. I don't mean to. I, I didn't mean to, to denigrate the the, yeah. the generous gift that you brought. The um, I should. I should warn you that at some point the doorbell is going to ring. My wife's waiting for a food delivery. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but you ate already, and you're good. No, I haven't eaten. Oh, okay. So, so I should be pretty smashed by the end. Yeah, great. <laughs> so you did um, a pretty clever thing in. Booking your week stone residency the same week that you're getting married. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just talking about it, yeah. but I'll reiterate. I, you know, that it books so far in advance. Like two know. years. Yeah. And it's insane. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the story about how I missed my first opportunity <laughs> because I waited a couple of days to get back to Zorn about it. Oh, you can't do that with him. And he was like, sorry, man, I already, bu- I, I didn't hear from you. I already booked your week. Yeah. And this time, I th- I was probably the first one to respond. I mean, maybe not, but right. I just was like, but you wrote back Boom. immediately. Yeah, and I was like, the week leading up to my birthday, perfect. Let's do this, set in stone, and then forgot about it. And we were booking. A, you book it. The wedding was booked about a year in advance too. And I just was like, what could I possibly have to do next July? You just and, had, it wasn't on your radar at all. No, so I booked it, and then a couple of days later, I was like. I was swimming. I literally like jumped out of the pool. I was like, holy shit. My stone residency is in July. If it's in the same weekend, like, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I already... hopefully you canceled the stone residency. <laughs> but I had already filled because I messed yeah. up that one time that this was going to be like, that was going to be it. That, that third strike, he would have been yeah. like, fuck you. you yeah. You've had your chance, you know? Right. I mean, we're not like 
that close. Right, 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 right. <laughs> He's doing me, still doing me favors, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. By, you know, including me, um, which I appreciate. So, but, uh, luckily, they're not the same week, but they're... Uh, like, two days week. later. Right. You know, and, of course, my fiancé was like, just don't be thinking about that at the wedding. <laughs> You know, like, and, and what do you do? Did you like cross your fingers behind and your I'm back? Like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah no I'm going to pull out my vows. It's going to be a score. <laughs> it's a <something laughs> chart or something. But you know, I got to say, like, I got married eight years ago, and the it was so incredibly stressful and like unpleasant of of a process of planning a wedding, and and it, particularly when the days leading up to the wedding arrived and everyone was coming to town. But the actual, like once it was like the day before the wedding, it's yeah. like, any, it's like a gig. It's like, okay, all the stress. Now you're just on the gig. Right. You know, you're just kind of like, well, if it fucks up, it fucks up. If it, yeah, this doesn't happen on time. It doesn't happen on time. Right. That's what everyone tells me that it's like, stuff's going to go wrong and you just have to kind of go with the flow. And we're improvisers, you know, exactly. that's like exactly. our, but like I was talking to the band, we hired a band for the ceremony and stuff like that. Um, really? um, and I can go into that because I, well, that's I don't curious. know. I don't want to like spoil it for people, but um, we're doing an Alice Coltrane themed. Oh shit. For the music is going to be like All the walking in is going to be like her music. We hired a harp player, this badass harp player from Boston really? um, who? who plays like, um, Wayne Shorter tunes and oh, you know okay. he's he's really good he's okay. young, um, and uh, uh, so I was like talking to him and I just was like, I'm a musician too blah 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 and I was like you know we're just gonna do it and I was like I know, shit doesn't really go the way you think it's gonna go until like the third gig usually anyway yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right but you only have one chance that's exactly right, that's exactly right I was trying to explain this very concept so you know like to me. It was, sorry, rather, in my life, music and restaurants are, I hate that they're like, uh-huh. not even on equal footing. In a lot of ways, restaurants overshadow it. But yeah. I was explaining to some people at just today at work, like the, the, the goal of problem solving in a restaurant is to not let on that there's a problem. Right. And right. it's the same thing with music. Like if you're on the bandstand and something goes wrong, do you stop the band and like stomp around and shake your head and slap your forehead? Right. Or do you play through it as if nothing happened? Right. Yeah. You, you learn real-life skills from, from improvisational music. Yeah, definitely. So Alice Coltrane music. For the ceremony, yeah. Um, what, uh, what tunes? Journey to Satchitananda. Um, and then we're going to do, there's one, uh, she has a version of Love Supreme with a poem reading. The, the, the text that Coltrane wrote? Uh, the, for, yeah, it starts with the word love. Right. Um, and that there's a, um, I think her guru is reading it on the recording. Okay. It's an Indian man. Yeah. Um, it's very dramatic. So we might do that. Um, there might be like a sunrise oh, tune sure in yet. there. Uh, better, better. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, but that's, see, that goes back when I met her. That your, was like, that, that was like that. Fiance. Yeah. That was like the original connection was we, she was like really into impulse oh. music. Uh, Sun Ra, uh, Ornette. All okay. that stuff. Our second date, we went to see the Sun Ra Orchestra. In San Francisco? No, no, no. In uh, New York. You met her here? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's why we're incorporating it. It's something that's right. meaningful to Absolutely. both of us. So we're really excited about that. That's funny. It's uh, you know my, like my wife and I, we had this plan when we got engaged that she would walk down the aisle to that Nick Cave song, Into My Arms. Uh-huh. And I called, when we got engaged, I called up Zorn, and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, Angie and I, you know, we got engaged, and he's like, congratulations, do you want Masada to play the wedding? 
Uh-huh. And I was like, fucking absolutely. So I was like, Angie, I got news for you. Yeah. <laughs> that Nick Cave shit ain't happening. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, the no Zorn version of no, Nick I mean, Cave. No, I mean, look, you know, I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. Uh, no, I got a, a, an MP3 of Nick Cave that I'm going to play. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We originally had this other um, harp player for the gig, this woman, Brandy Younger, who we heard play with Ravi Coltrane. They did an Alice Coltrane okay. tribute. And she had to cancel. I mean, she's getting really huge. She's playing with this um, drummer, Micaiah McRaven. Oh, he's yeah, Chicago. He's like the guy so they're now. touring Europe all summer. She was like, I mean, I understand that you can't. She's like, I need $40 million. So, dollars yeah, you. Like, no, yeah. So much money. I'm happy for her. She's amazing. Sure. Um, but I literally like almost, I had a moment where I was like, well, I guess we could play the recording, you know? And I just was like, <laughs> like right. tears in my eyes. I was like, how horrible. But you're not going to play music. You're not going to play and pick up an instrument, are you? No. Don't. Like, I, I, I just think that, yeah, you probably, that'd be enough to make you like. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Ari totally understands, but I was like, you know, I just want to relax. Right. As much wanna, as you can. In right. I have right. a, I'm playing a week at the stone. I don't need to like let everyone know. <laughs> right. That, you know, this other part of me that's like going to be pretty all over by so, that point. So you're born and raised in Connecticut. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I spent a little time in Cincinnati when I was a little kid. Is that where your parents are from? I, that's where my mom went to school. So uh-huh. when she got divorced, we moved out to Cincinnati for a couple but of years. When she got divorced from your dad? Yeah. Okay. And then we lived out there for a little bit. Um, and then we moved back when she got remarried. And I spent the rest of my childhood. Like Fairfield area? Yeah, totally. Yeah. What, I don't even know what it's like there. I know like Jamie Sapt is from around there. Like I don't right. have a sense Does of... Does he tell you anything about it or... Just that it sucks. I mean, he'll tell you he's from Queens, but he's from Fairfield. <laughs> right. Got it. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's What is it? It's just like suburban? Suburbs, yeah. But like like a dignified suburb, right? Yeah. It's you not, how, it's not know, like Chipotle and... Yeah, you know how I see it now? I almost like when you, when you look at like patterns of gentrification in the city, I almost think of like that tip of Connecticut as like a gentrification gentrification from new york also because you had all this money from new york and people wanted to still commute right you know so like areas like greenwich right that's like williamsburg kind of what williamsburg they need access later. to the to the city yeah but they're taking their money just, out of the city and they're going to create this fantasy land around themselves so it's slowly spread out where right. we were living was not was like very rural especially when we moved there like there was a one corner store and one gas station in the whole town i have an enormous love affair with connecticut yeah i mean i spent all my summers there as a kid oh cool like at, where at summer camp in new milford oh wow okay and yeah i mean to me connecticut is still like a magical place and then like at growing into it as an adult like going up to fucking new haven and hanging out and eating you know new haven pizza and playing at firehouse or like yeah going over to wesley and like, i just think connecticut my my i know people think of connecticut as like a waspy place Sure. To me, it's a fucking awesome place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all of that. Yeah. There's definitely... Like, you, Fairfield gets a little waspy, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's... I want to say it has the one of the greatest wealth inequality... Inequality. Of, of any state. Like, the, the poorest areas of like Connecticut Hartford. are really poor. Like, Hartford is... is Bridgeport. Right. There's all these areas that are like really depressed, and then you go over and to then Greenwich. The, and... the rich areas are really rich. 
How do you, how how does that what 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 is that? Are you, are you immediately aware of that growing up there? Uh, in that naive way, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, we were told, you know, that there were some areas we shouldn't go because they were probably dangerous. You weren't, you weren't, you weren't told <laughs> that these places were like, uh, this is like, this is like a misfortunate thing. It was just like, don't go there, you'll get got. You probably more like the the <laughs> latter, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely. But uh, I didn't like it. I still don't really like it. You know, I go back and see my family a lot now, and uh, I mean, I prefer areas with culture and cities, and and that's just not that's there. sort of my no, it's not, yeah. But is it here? Like, what are the? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, well, it's all relative, but yes, there's more happening. Oh, yeah, in New York, definitely. It's very easy to sit here and like bash it, but you know, yeah. put me somewhere else, and I'll you know be dying to go back. Um, but was there? Uh, did you go to public school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have good public schools, especially yeah. the one we went to. It was really supposedly really great. Yeah, in so, what way? Uh, I it won awards. I don't know. I mean, I I can't compare it. But did anything, you have, but did it you had like professors. That, like, I mean, professors. there professors. There, right. There were some teachers. There was this one guy. I mean, he was like a heavy dude. He was like bringing in John Cage interviews and stuff like that. Being like, <laughs> and being like, what is this? What do you think of this, guys? This was in a music class or in like a literature? There was a class called Thinking. Yeah, this is not the common public school experience. And it's like, no, I had all of that, but I just was like, by my senior year, you know what I mean? It's like there was other, these other things happening that were maybe a bit more... Than what you would get in another. I mean, I think if you grew up with a class in high school called thinking, yeah, obviously that's going to influence how you think of a professional life for yourself. Sure, right? No, right. I just want to say, as an addendum, I thought John Cage was an idiot at the time. <laughs> Back then, yeah. yeah, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He was Wait, talking well, about what? mushrooms. Well, yeah, and he, talking he was about a huge mushroom guy. Yeah, and talking about um, just chance, and then they played some of the music, and everyone was laughing. You know, it wasn't like Do we you were remember all what, what music it was. Um, no, but it was one of those chance pieces where it sounded like all the sure. sounds were kind of random and maybe electronic. How, how did the teacher deal with that laughter? He was like teaching himself. I think he was just sort of like, I wonder what people that age would think of this. Well, did you ever watch the video of him, of John Cage performing Waterwalk on this old talk show when he was very yeah. young? He performed Waterwalk. You know, he's hitting a radio. He's doing all this crazy shit. Yeah, right. And the people in the audience are laughing. And the, the host of the show says, asks John Cage, how does it feel that people are laughing at, at your music, at your work? And he says, well, laughter is certainly preferable to tears. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. So I think it's a natural reaction. You know, as an artist, you can kind of relate to that. There's only so much you can predict how someone's going to react to your work. Yeah. And that can be frustrating if you have an agenda mm -hmm. going into it. Sure. And I think that's what he's kind of... Um, hinting at there that the frustration because he was doing something so experimental you yeah know, that the people didn't know how to react yeah right I, I had a teacher in high school who was the most important teacher i ever had uh -huh. she really really was like when you think about the role of a teacher in a young person's life like she like home run grand slammed it out of the park for yeah me. and i remember her uh in like i think i was in 11th grade she was like you really I really want you to read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Okay. And I took her very seriously, and I read it in a night, and I came back. I was like, that book was fucking bullshit. I hated it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I only reread it like a year ago, and it's just hilarious. Like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, right, it's great. Something this deep, you know, I was that, like, re re right. just repelled by it at a young, dumb age. I find now 
I was just thinking about this recently, how when you get older, you go through that experience so many times of being like, oh, yeah, what's that? That's terrible. Yeah. That I now know if I'm having an extreme reaction to something, it's going to be good. <laughs> that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and I'll explore that instead of being dismissive now. Um, you know, I think about, I mean, like a classic example of that. I think a lot of people have that reaction to Captain Beefheart when they first hear Captain Beefheart. Um, Matt Groening, the famous, has like yeah. a great little clip where he's just like, I hated it. I hated it the second time. I hated it the third time. By the fourth time, it was my favorite album. Right. You know? Right. And uh, that happened to me with, you know, I kind of wanted to bring this up with you was uh, the first Mr. Bungle record, mm -hmm. which, you know, I bought on CD when it came out for obvious reasons. So I wait, it to... came out, how old were you when that came out? 91. I was in high school. Was like 14, 15 or something. Sure. Yeah. 16. Yeah. Maybe. And, you know, listening to all whatever a suburban, you know, white kid uh, that list, watches MTV and that's their primary source of um, new music. Yeah. You know, and listening to Faith No More and I was getting into whatever grunge and all that stuff. Metal. Um, I hated that album the first time I heard it. Yeah, I returned it. It sounded corny. It sounded goofy. It sounded. I yeah. I thought they were, you know, this was something I thought of recently where I was like, like the stuff that's like even the stuff that's metal, to me it it sounded like they were making fun of metal. Yeah, like it's so extreme. Everything right. they did was such an extreme mm -hmm. version of that genre. It sounded like they just thought everything was a joke. Mm -hmm. And I took music seriously. I was like. You know, music's about being passionate and writing cool riffs or whatever. Like, yeah, no, you know, that, that's very and, important. And that sounded like the opposite of that. Right. They were like, "Fuck that!" And yeah. I've, I, I feel like even back then, I never returned anything. That's, that seems like a stupid idea. That's how mad I was mm -hmm. of, at that album. You sold me this fucking thing, yeah, and I want my you, money back. How yeah. could you? Yeah, you know. And then I still couldn't get it out of my head. I'm thinking, you know, and I'm like. I got to give that another chance. I feel like I was a you little bit back. <laughs> and I bought it again. And the guy was like, look, this time it's yours. We are not taking right? it back. And yeah, I mean, you could say it changed my life, you know, in yeah, that way. Isn't that it I funny? Like... Like, for so many people we know in our, in our age group, like that is like, you know, I've, I've gotten close to Trevor, you know, and I know Trey and I know these guys yeah. and they're like, you know, very down to earth cool people you know still you know they're they're not living in mansions they're grinding away yeah and, and, I, and I know people tell them like hey man i learned all this shit through like what you what yeah. you did but i wonder if they really know you have to imagine that for every cool person like you saying Very you cool. really influence yeah. there were like 20 new metal guitarists that probably were point. telling them the same thing that's that a good they point. were like oh. but they know the they're difference like, oh, they sorry. know the difference no i know like I know. you know trevor actually going back to what we were talking about earlier he you know he played at my wedding he was playing bass with zorn at my wedding oh, wow. yeah. and literally like my mom and my older brother and my best friend from when i was like 20 they all went up to him i was like you do know yeah that, right, like there's right. a point in his life where like he would have you know killed all of us for for mr bungle you know yeah that's funny i mean the thing that's funny about that whole concept of it being such a, seeming like such a joke is it's so clear all those guys are so serious. Yeah. They're still pushing themselves. Yeah. All of them. Every one of them. You know, really, like every new album, there seems like they're exploring something new. Yeah. 
And that's really like, you don't hear that. You think about everything you maybe liked or listened to back then. I can't think of anything, anyone else that's really, I mean, maybe someone like in the create, like Zorn, but no one in like that sort of rock. I mean, world. you know, I, unfortunately he committed suicide, but someone like Chris Cornell or uh-huh. like Kim Thayil and the guys from Soundgarden, like those guys are absolutely still going. Yeah. I mean, no, there's still, there's still plenty of guys, but they're maybe not, you know, you know, for someone like Trevor who, you know, studied, you know, uh, right. you know, upright bass and and was you know studying stravinsky scores you know certainly that allows him right uh, a certain sonic palette to work with you know not to say that that's better than someone like a blues guitar player but right you know i think chris cornell stayed pretty solid up until the day he yeah you know left i'll take your word for it i haven't listened i didn't listen to too much of his later i didn't music. i didn't much either but like yeah. what i like when i did it was like yeah this guy you know it's not my right, it might still- not be like something i'm dying to listen to but he stayed pretty yeah pretty consistent i think yeah i respect that more and more the older i get you once you start feeling how age you know can affect you when i see people in the 60s and 70s 80s i just saw milford graves at you vision know, yeah the the i've heard something consistent from everyone about that yeah yeah it was like one of those transcending shows he had a moment where he it's like he was gonna like I start crying or something. I heard he was wheeled on stage. Yeah, he was pretty much like, bar- yeah, he barely made it on stage yeah. to do that. Um, and he had this moment. It's, it was the quietest an audience has ever been at a show. I think that moment where it's like everyone is just like waiting for him, and you like feel like you're in the presence of like this real um, transcendent moment. You know, seeing someone being so honest and mm-hmm. so open and who, you know, you don't, you don't know how much longer they're going to be here, you know, right. It's, it was so heavy. Mm-hmm. And the whole set was just about their history. Him and Andrew. Him Surreal. and Andrew. Yeah. yeah. So it was so beautiful. I regret not going to that. I keep hearing from people that, so the show took place like, like three, four weeks ago or whatever. And I keep hearing from people about that. Yeah. And that's the one set I would have gone to. I think I, I made a, you know, uh, packed with myself that when they, the feature nights where it's just one musician curating the night, the Cooper Moore one, that was amazing two years ago. I, I regret not seeing the Dave Burrell one Uh last year, but it really seems like they're, I mean, vision festival, I got it, you know, for how long that's been going. It's like almost 20 plus years. I, I mean, they're still committed to, really representing that culture and that scene mm-hmm. <clears throat> just as strongly as when it started. Yeah, that's absolutely you know, true. I was to the first one, and I would say it's even stronger now. Wait, you went to the first one? Yeah. You were at the first Vision Festival. I was. Were you? No. <laughs> I've only been to the Vision Festival. I, I went to one Vision Festival one night uh-huh. um, oh, maybe like okay. 16, 17 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, before I moved to San Francisco, I was into that stuff and... You know, what was who did you see at the first Vision Festival? I saw Masada, right? <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, um, David. I think they did a bill with they were on the bill with David Ware. Man, that must have been a great night. Perry Robinson, Jesus, Perry Robinson. It was, yeah, it was great. It was in this weird little. You had to go in an elevator up to like the third floor. It was like not a huge room. Yeah, that would have been what like ninety six, ninety seven, right? Ninety four. Uh, something like that we can we can double check that sure but i was really into uh, this guy i went to college with 
um, he ended up working for Homestead Records when he graduated. Okay. And then Homestead Records slowly transitioned to Ohm Fidelity. Right. Which was like a free jazz, that, that mean, whole scene. Yeah. The, but, I mean, Ohm Fidelity, you know, has been a very crucial force in all yeah, of that music. That guy, Stephen Jork. So I knew right. Stephen and this friend of mine. I mean, I could say his name is Adam. And uh, Adam Lane? Or no, Adam. Uh, Allure. Yeah. Yeah, so we went to college together. Right. And so so we were getting into that music in college, you know, yeah. coming out of, again, another one of those things, kind of coming out of Sonic Youth. Those guys were playing with some free jazz that guys. Was, yeah, and, that was a good time. You know, so that all sort of, and then those labels were supporting those musicians. Yeah. Like uh, Homestead and um, I'm trying to think of who else, Ecstatic Peace maybe? Well, that's, yeah, Thurth, uh, blah, 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 Thurston's label. Yeah. So wait, was the clarinet the first instrument for you, the clarinet? What growing up? Yeah, no, no. I was I played bass in high school and the college. Electric bass. Yeah, that is literally so. You, me, and Patrick Holmes all have that in common. Yeah, the electric bass was my first instrument. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. We should start a trio where we all play like, electric bass, bass badly, or pretty bad, <laughs> and yeah. clarinet, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little less badly, yeah, or something. So, you, so wait, how old were you when you started playing clarinet? Um, I was a senior in college. So 21. Yeah, around there. And then um, almost immediately after that, I moved to the Bay Area. For for what reason? uh, I had some friends out there. It was like a $200 room in an apartment. In San Francisco? Yeah. In the Mission? Uh, Lower Haight. Lower Haight, right. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'll come out, live in this room for a couple of months and get my bearings there. And you, the idea was to go out there and play some music, or yeah, yeah, and just like friends from college, we're yeah. gonna maybe play again. And um, I wasn't like fully, um, you know, I didn't go to music school. What I did wasn't you study really in like college? Psychology. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. What you wanted to be a shrink? I don't. I don't know. It was something to study. I think I just like to think, so I was just trying to find something right. that seemed like about people and. Uh-huh. I don't know. I was, maybe it was kind of lost. I feel like I was just doing what college kids do. Just you're right. kind of lost. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, you know, you have enough people in your life who will tell you music is kind of not a great. But wait, wait what's, what's the concept with, with a bachelor's degree? The idea is that by junior year, you figured out what you want to do and you have your, you have your, uh, what, what do they call them? The major and minor. No, but what do you call them? The basic classes that you have to take? Oh, um, core curriculum yeah, yeah, maybe whatever. You have the core out of the way and now you is that the concept i guess so yeah okay so but i mean i was still really it's like i went to college and i just played in bands and i worked at the radio station those were my relationships for mu- with music in it's a, college it's a very healthy relationship with music yeah no the radio station i was just hanging out with some old college friends and you know that access mm-hmm. to huge libraries i mean i don't think anyone these days can appreciate no it's like growing up without the internet and then all of a sudden someone's like here you can look up any record you want one day and you're like holy shit yeah yeah unbelievable and you're just like in a candy store um because that just didn't exist again like coming from the suburbs only having mtv you know like the such limitations to being like what's this you know and slowly like John Zorn produced this record. What else did he do? Who else is on? Like, I started Knitting Factory. Yep. Just like really just starting to. Well, where did you go to college? Uh, in Connecticut. Which one? Connecticut College. 
it's a, a it's a real small school. Okay. It's yeah. So so you move out to the bay because your friends were there and there was a cheap room waiting for you. Yeah. And you had just started to play. I just, just started, started playing the clarinet. Uh huh. And I had just heard uh, Melt Zonk Rewire. The new Klezmer Trio. Yeah, it was like the, Zadok was just starting. I think it was around like that 95, time. 95, Yeah, so maybe it was like a couple of years. But I mean, people, I, you you couldn't do this now. I mean, maybe you do, but I think at that time you wanted to. Ha- hear all the Zodic records. Like it was still a new enough thing where you were like, it was oh, exciting. I, no, I remember. Yeah. It was exciting. Was and they exactly weren't, they weren't $30 like the imports. Right. Those, um, the, the Avant imports. Yeah. So it was like, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be like, this is great thing. So it's like, yeah, of course I had all the radical Zo- Jewish culture records. And that was my favorite. Of, of all the series. That was the one. That was the one I was like, well, I mean, to be fair, sorry to interrupt you. That first round of records were in fact radical yeah like you did they not were all know over what the you place. were gonna get yeah they were all over the place um and i'm trying to remember some of the others there was i don't know how early that one there was like a john shot record there's a few i think there's a quartet where he had a tenor vocalist okay i remember hearing and i remember hearing it being like what the hell is you know it's like and john record- shot's a bay area guy yeah yeah so yeah i got out there i had no idea and, and i just looked up ben i was like let me give him a call and he, when you said you looked him up, was it like in the white pages? <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember how I got his number. Yeah, I don't remember how you did it back then. But I, I gave him a call, probably what was not emailing him back then. Sure. And, uh, oh, he was like, yeah, I teach. Yeah, of course. Like $30 uh-huh. a lesson, you know? I mean, it was really <laughs> like... I thought it was going to be this like crazy prohibited... I don't know. Just because I had built up in my mind... That he probably was going to be too busy. Yeah, these guys who, or, who live you know, on or wouldn't. Right. Yeah, so I went and hooked up with him, and, and you know, in my mind, I was going to be like, "There's a song on there. It's like the third song, and he just plays this craziest shit on this solo." And I really went in there, and I just was like, "I'm just, I just want to know, like, how he does this stuff. How does he get these sounds?" Right. And I got in there, and he had me play a little bit, and he was like, um, "He's like, all right." Um, we're going to learn all of me, <laughs> right? <laughs> he was like, yeah. I think that's what you need. And I was kind of like, what? Yeah. Really? And we did it. We like went back to the very basics. You sat there with two of, clarinets. He was playing piano. Okay. And just really just like voice leading, simple structure. And he, you know, he just was like, he's like, you know, Lee Cohn had said, if you can't play inside, you're not going to be able to play outside. Right. That's what he. That's where. That's where he wanted me to start with. Mm-hmm. He did not want to teach me how to play <laughs> the sky, which is like you well, know. Well, I mean, what, what, when you think back on that period of time, where would you say you were at as a clarinetist? I, I'm, I was a beginner. Yeah. You know, I think I had a little bit of a ego in that I'd been playing music for so long, so I wanted to come across as someone who like understood music. Yeah. But. As a clarinetist and as a jazz musician, I was an absolute beginner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, knew, he could tell immediately and was like, that's where we need to start. Yeah. So, so. you guys sat there. He, he accompanied you on the piano. Yeah. And did you know all of me before? Second? <laughs> I mean, I probably knew it as a tune. Yeah. I'd heard it before. But yeah, no, I wasn't really like playing that kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know. So was there and, a second lesson? Oh, yeah, I studied with him a lot. Yeah. For like a full year, I went every week. Yeah. 
and really just was like, and you know, some of it was that, some of it was that, you know, he would, there'd be lessons where he'd be like, ask me a kind of cerebral question. Like how many note combinations do you think there are? Stuff like that. And then sort of going through stuff. Steve Lacey taught him. Yeah. You know, just sort of going through like like concepts, interval stuff. Um, I wish I had recorded it. You know, it's like, I'm sure there's so much I forgot. Mm-hmm. That was probably like the heaviest shit. And like, I just, you know, it was forgotten just because I was trying to do other stuff or, yeah. Did, but would you say that it was with Ben that you really got inside the clarinet? Yes. He he was, yeah, he was, I think, big, certainly getting my shit together in terms of fundamentals um, harmony and music. Yeah, there was a lot that um, was from him. There was another guy I ended up playing with a little later on, um, this bass clarinetist, Cornelius Boots, who uh-huh. had a bass clarinet quartet that I played in. And it was, again, kind of coming in and d- sort of relearning mm-hmm. everything. I didn't do a lot of bass clarinet with Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, Ben doesn't do a lot of bass clarinet. He at the time he did a little bit more. Yeah, you're, you're right. But also, um, I just didn't want to. He lived like it was like a 20 minute walk from the Bart station. Right. So I just didn't want to carry that thing every week. Yeah. So we just you know I was like let's do the clarinet. That's his main axe. It's mm-hmm. you know. But getting into with this other guy, I got a lot into um, techniques on the bass clarinet that I think just really changed. Cause I mean that guy, you know, I know he's not really like known and he doesn't even play anymore. He only plays shakuhachi now. Really? <laughs> he's just like this, you know, lives in the woods yeah. kind of dude. Um, uh, so it's for the best, I think, but he was one of those people like he could listen to a recording and tell you what angle the guy who's playing was holding yeah. his horn. Like he, he just like had such a, um, in, intense thorough knowledge of the horn so he could really like hear you he's like i think your tongue is a little bit like you know angled like this or something he's like Hmm. you need it more i mean you know it was like um what is that called like a he was like a chiropractor right you know right really getting all that very specific technical stuff whereas i think ben was more on the cerebral aspect of it the conceptual side some technique this guy it was like he he wanted me to play like him, so that when we were in the, hit the playing in this quartet, everyone was as good as he was, you know. <sighs> right, right. So it was really intense. Were you it's gig- like military? That is, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound good all to that you. Fun to me. <laughs> were you were you? Gigging? I just was like going into it being. I was you know like I just want to get as much. Want to get good at the instrument, this. yeah. Yeah, of course. And the other two guys in the band, they were came out of conservatory. So they were already good at the instrument. Yes, but the thing he liked about me is I think he could hear that I had played all these years in rock bands and stuff like that. And he really appreciated the energy yeah. and force mm-hmm. that I had to it. He could tell, you know, he w- that I had like that rock aesthetic. Wait, but so how quickly after picking up the clarinet did you pick up a bass clarinet? Pretty soon after, I had a real crappy one that I bought on like a tour. A bass clarinet, yeah, like a plastic, like Vito or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it was a real piece of junk. It could barely get a sound out of it. Yeah, but when I moved out to the Bay, I started working at this music instrument shop, and I had a pretty decent 
discount. So I was like, I'm getting good horns while I work here. Yeah. And what did you get? The Selmer Low C. That's the one you still play. Yeah. yeah. And and that's where you also got your art. We well, played an R13, right? Yeah. Sorry, guys. This is clarinet shit. But, <laughs> but that's where you got your R13? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still have those horns. I was playing my clarinet this morning. And I realized my R13 that I play now, I've now had for four years. Oh, wow. I was going to say two years. But in my mind, I was like, oh, does this mean I only have three years left on this thing? And I don't think so. No. I think, I think, I, I think it's just getting. It's warming up. Yeah, I think so. I want to say 20 plus years you can maybe start no. thinking about that. Really? Why? What do I you think? I mean, I, I, so I had a conversation, again, sorry, guys. Uh, with Josh Rubin, where he was like seven years for this. For, no, just, we're, just no, we're just talking clarinets and like, really, yeah. is that a classical thing? Maybe. I mean, I know Ben's played his. Sorry, guys. Ben's played his clarinet for like twenty-five years at this point, thirty years. Yeah. Maybe that's hopeful. I don't know. I mean, yeah. like, it'd, it'd be great if my thirty-five hundred dollar horn could last more than seven years. I would not. Yeah, I'd say 20 plus maybe. That's what I've heard. I can't corroborate this. I want to say I might be getting close to 20 years on these horns. Okay. Yeah, so I'll let you know. But So at this 7 time, years, that's crazy. That's well, maybe that's maybe that's That's like one of those people they have their Mercedes they're like, "Oh yeah, I trade it in every year." Well, it might it might be <laughs> the I, I think, you know, someone who practices 6 to 7 hours a day and plays 250 concerts a year. Okay, f- fair enough. Yeah. So were you gigging at this time in the Bay? Yeah. While I was studying with Ben, I also was hanging out at Mills. Um, and were you invited to hang out there? You just sort of turned up. (laughs) Yeah. There's no invited. You just, it's pretty loose, but, uh, what was going on was, uh, they were trying to find a new, uh, professor, I think to fill sort of like a jazz role there. So right when I got into town, they were auditioning with Dada Leah Smith Butch Morris, and then a couple of local guys. Glenn Spearman, I don't know if you know yeah, him. He's no longer with us. He's no yeah. longer with us. He was a great tenor, kind of like energy jazz yeah. guy. He would he would have been in the William Parker scene here probably. Right. Um, and India, this violinist, I think her name is India Cook. Okay. So there were like these two-week workshops, and I didn't know anyone, so I was like, let me check out these workshops. Right. Um and I met a lot of people. I met Eli Cruz through that. Who I just met at your recording session. Oh, cool. No. Well, yeah, it was at your session, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Damon Smith was Bass there. Player. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, like, a, just a lot of improv. You know, it's like everyone wanted to check these guys out. They were just in town for, like, a week or two. Yeah. Of course, like, Leo Smith. Like, of the, course. I mean, the legend. The greatest. Yeah, of course yeah. you want to work with him. That was great. He was amazing. Yeah, I really liked him. What did you learn from Leo? Uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, everything is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> That's just <laughs> That's the way so it is, good. you know. That's fucking so good. He just was like, he seemed to have this thing where he felt like the more confused you were, the closer you were to doing something s- yourself or sincere or you know what i mean i think he felt like if he was going to tell you exactly what to do that would ruin the point that was my sense from him yeah that he really wanted things to be like you know it was like a picture the scores were like pictures yeah 
and shapes. And he just wanted you to play the shapes. Right. But such a beautiful guy. I mean, and a lot of really, you know, deep thoughts on music. I really appreciated him. Butch Morris was like kind of the opposite. Not that he wasn't deep, but he would When he's teaching conduction, you play what the fuck he signals you. Yeah, yeah. He came and he was like... The, um, I'm sorry, but the pianos are in the wrong place. We have to move. You know, it's like we're lugging the pianos across this concert room. Yeah. <laughs> First thing, everyone's like, what is going on? And, you know, no, you play, you, you listen to exactly what he wants. That's, yeah, it was like record scratch, yeah. you know, that was interesting. Um, so it was nice uh, just getting involved that. And I think that is sort of where I met uh I met musicians who were I had heard through Carla Kiltset, who I had met at a gig um, that I needed to check out Colin Stetson because she was like, oh, you got to check out this guy, Colin. He just moved to town. Um, so I was like, oh, that's cool. She was like, I think he's hanging out at Mills. So part of the reason why I was going to Mills and um, at that point, Fred was there. He had just started there. He had just started. That right. whole thing Fred was Frith. a wash with all those guys. And they ended up going with Fred for this okay. position. Um, which I think is, he either just finished. I think he's done. teaching there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I ended up meeting musicians that played with uh, Colin. There's this whole, he he was part of this whole scene already. There. Um, Matthew Sperry. Did you know him? No. Okay. Um, he was in this group called Transmission. Yeah. Which was like a trio, that really was like they did Thomas Chapin covers. Right. You know, and they wrote their own music, but it was very much in that vein, kind mm-hmm. of like a heavy jazz trio almost like metal rock but with a lot of like soloing and you know there would be moments where the band would stop and he would sort of go in, into that patterny circular breathing thing mm-hmm. but it was purely improvised in that context like he wasn't playing solo yet or doing any of right. this stuff yet um so yeah met him and started playing a little bit with transmission and those guys and um just started meeting people. Um, I met Chess through Eli. Chess Smith. You know, we were in that. We were in my first band was with. That was the rhythm section. Well, wait, wait, what was the first band? I. It's. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you the name, but uh, you don't have to tell me the name. But it was Eli. It was this bass clarinetist Jacob Lindsay, who was another student of Ben's. Uh huh. Um, and. Uh, this violinist Tom Swafford who lives out here. Yeah, now. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like just trying to write my own music. I didn't even know how to do notation that what well. What was the music and, like? Um, honestly, like I was trying to get effects, but I didn't know how to get them. I think I was really into like some of Fred Frith's compositions, Shostakovich. Mm-hmm but maybe with like some jazz or improv solos thrown in just trying to imitate people. I like Sun Ra. Mm-hmm. I was really into Sun Ra. Mm-hmm. Um, just quirky melodies. I don't know. Quirky melodies with some improvisation. I mean, yeah. nothing too far from what you would hear from other groups. I think, except for the fact that I think, if you heard it, you'd be like, yeah, I, it doesn't, they don't really sound like they have a voice yet. Like, I just don't think I, I just but didn't you know wouldn't what have I was described doing. it that way at the time. Right. Right. So what was I telling people? 
No, 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 uh, no, no, no. You answered the question, which was, yeah. you know, what was the music like? Yeah. I know part of it is me going back, like, you know, being like, oh, yeah, that I was just trying to rip off Fred Frith with that tune. Or I was just trying to do it. That's just a Kovich thing where right. the two melodies are fighting each other. Right, right, right at right, some right. climactic point that I think he loves to do or um, but not knowing what I'm doing at all. Yeah. I'm just completely making it up. Um, and uh, I think I got to hit a wall where I was like, I need to study composition, I think, a little deeply. So I, I, I went to UC Berkeley and studied composition there for a couple of years. Um, there was a bunch of people there. There was this uh, composer, Ollie Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Coleman was there briefly. So I started hanging out with the Steve Coleman class, um, which was scary as F. Yeah. He was. Why are you laughing? No, no reason. Uh, scary in what way? He was. An, he's an intense dude. Yeah, I, I would I say mean, so. He basically he said this once. So I'll just use his words, not yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm teaching this class so that the top 10 percent of the class are barely holding on. That was his philosophy. He wanted people to every single person to feel like they didn't really know, could barely handle what he was throwing out there. Yeah. And, and, and how how was that class? I, I mean, it felt hor- like really bad, but, oh, great. you know, I'm, I'm over and over again. I mean, I feel like I was, I wouldn't do it now. I think. Oh, right. But at the why time, would you subject yourself to that fucking time, idiotic horseshit. And I'll tell you, there's people you and I both know and love. I don't want to name I don't names. Know, love's the word, but go ahead. That also came to the class and oh. were like, fuck this. Okay, okay, good, good, good. I thought you were going to say they went along that with it. That got treated so shitty. And that they're, even at that time, I was like, I was like, wow, I can't believe he just like was fucking with that guy. I mean, Steve Coleman has gotten to a place as a saxophonist, a level of musicianship that very few people ever get to. Right. But I will say this. I, I feel like I was still like going to jam sessions. I was still like doing things where the only result was me feeling horrible. You know, cool. so I that was sounds like an r- enriching experience. You know, so I was abusers are abusers. Right. You do not have to comment on this, but abusers are abusers. Right. And whether they're playing a fucking horn or they are treating a woman like a piece of garbage, that's what an abuser does. I may cut this. I don't know. That's, you know, I mean, I didn't really like think about any of that at the time. Of course, I didn't know about yeah. any of the stuff that's like come out recently. But there is like a mentality that you hear about, especially more in that straight ahead jazz sure. world that you aren't kind to people. It's like they kind of I think they mentally think no one's going to really kick themselves in the ass and do the work unless someone else is there being like, you need to do the work and not be nice. And it's interesting. You see the dichotomy because I would say with the other people we were talking about, like Ben, Ben never was like, wow, you really need to get your shit to, you know what I mean? He was never like negative. He was more like, let's learn this, you know, and did it in a way that was more um, constructive. Sure. Um, there was a, you know, there was a time where I was like, I wish he was a little harder on me. Like, I wish maybe sure. he had been like, you know, here, I hear the deficiencies. I really, you know, and it's like that scene, I feel like the creative music scene, especially, I don't know about here. It just was more supportive. You know, it wasn't going to yeah. just be like, that wasn't the vibe. Like everyone was just like, 
well, just trying I mean, to be where, where, supportive. Where, where you find that line and that distinction between creativity and execution is an important place, and I think it's something we all have to think about at yeah. all times. You know, and again, I'm thinking in my mind right now a comparison between music and food, and where that exists. You know, on the bandstand or in the practice room, and how right. a band leader, how a chef gets results while simultaneously nurturing. Right. And it's, yeah, it's specific to each person. Like, and there's a part of me and there's a part of my mind that is completely on board with that thing of just like snapping people to, you know, being aggressive. Right. Uh, and, and being dismissive of a person's need to be nurtured. Like I, I have a part of that, but then there's also, you know, but obviously that is not the answer every time or even most times there's a specificity that is is required sure you can be firm without being a dick you know and you can be like convey yourself in a way it's really hard most people don't have those skills i think but i think it's possible i think when you come from a situation and this is you know me assuming things for other people outside myself where you come from a situation that was wasn't easy where you really like fought tooth and nail to to get any opportunity that you have you become really resentful towards people who don't immediately lock in with you in with the same intensity that right you expect right you know what i mean yeah so when you walked away from that experience with steve which again as you said was sort of like a polar opposite of of the thing with ben yeah did you walk away from it punching yourself? Did you walk away from it saying, man, I don't need that shit? Um, I really... Uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I do feel like maybe I would have... I wish I would have committed to what he was saying. I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's one of those things where it's like, I look at some of the stuff maybe I'm even doing now, and I'm like, that's just what he was talking about back then, you know? almost this way of like, I feel like my ego got in the way of me being like porous enough to just listen, you know, where, yeah. And he had some, he was talking about some really, there's some really heavy stuff he's talking about, you know, going into stuff like negative harmony. And again, I sort of felt like there was a part of me that was being like, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't a great Improviser, I didn't think I was going to go into the class and he was going to be like, hey, you, you know, you've got what it takes. Yeah, you got something special. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I really just wanted to learn. He was, I mean, there were other professors there. There was the other jazz professors that were there walking away looking like, you know, they could barely play. You know, I mean, it was like everyone. So I didn't, I guess I didn't feel bad specifically. <laughs> like I was the only one who had no, was like not being able to grasp this stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a real drag to me. I got to be honest. Yeah. It sounds like a turnoff. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, well, like I said, I mean, I sort of looked at every relationship. I mean, I idolized Ben too, you know, more so than, you know, it's like every, every relationship I felt like going into was just a, a way of me being like, what can I get from this? How can I yeah, build of towards that's, that's a good student attitude, something you know, mixed with, I think, maybe a little bit too much. Like, I was already, as I was learning how to play all of me, I'm still, like, I'm writing music. Yeah. I'm playing in my own bands. You know, I'm trying to, like, carve, you know, a place in this community. Um, so all of that's 
happening simultaneously. At the time that you were there, and, and the, or rather this time specifically, the, the scene in San Francisco felt good. It felt vibrant. It oh, felt- it was amazing. I would say when I first moved out there in the late 90s, you had um, all these places. Okay, imagine it was the first dot-com boom. So Just before they got there or just after? Right as I got there. I mean, things yeah. were like exploding. But it wasn't like stable companies. And th- that's one thing that was different. The other thing that was different is that that huge amount of wealth that was be pouring into there was filtering down to musicians. How so? Because there were all these places. There was clubs like Bruno's that was this fancy Italian restaurant where the guys, they were really into creative music. One of the guys there like loved the experimental music scene in San Francisco. And he was basically like, look, we make enough money just on the weekends to cover all of our expenses. This place was booming because the nightlife was so great at that time. People love to like dress up. Remember that whole like retro swing thing was like in full effect. People like to go out and party. Yeah. You know, that's what, I mean, you don't see that now with the new tech. Right. They, it's so different. So they were going out. They wanted to be seen. They would go to this fancy club. Bruno's. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the guy was like, play whatever you want during the week. Book whatever you want during the week. I don't Monday even care. Monday Thursday. Yeah. Or Sunday. Yeah. Graham Kana mm-hmm. was playing there every week. Um, yeah. And I don't know if your audience is aware of him, but he was like a real... He was like a Sun Ra character yeah. um, in the Bay where it's like literally if any musician that you probably know and like from the Bay Area probably spent some time with yeah. this guy. Kenny Wollison, Trevor Dunn, Chess, Devin Hoff, Elliot Cavi, Ben Goldberg. I mean, it was like, you you know, his music was super challenging, super fun, great community. And really was like where a lot of people learned how to navigate that stuff. That's what I learned so much playing right. with that guy. Um, so he was, he was playing at Bruno's three nights a week. Probably he was playing on the weekends too. He was playing like B3 organ behind these like soul singers and stuff like that. Yeah. And just really like integral in that scene. So he was playing there all the time. This Mia Masaoka, uh-huh. she had a quartet playing there all the time that was like trevor dunn on bass scott amandola on drums and her daughter was playing turntables she gave her daughter like cecil taylor records and she was like creating all these crazy sounds yeah. under her kodo with like it was a crazy time. free jazz so i was there all the time there i mean and there was music at you know there's all these places in the mission where i would see rova yeah all the time i would see um you know, just different sessions. It seemed like every night of the week there was mm-hmm. something going on almost. So it felt like a really good. And at that time, I felt like there was like younger people my age, Eli, all these people I've mentioned. And then there were the older cats. Uh-huh. And it was a little bit of like a segregated like now. I It's not like everyone plays with everyone. And right. I think it was maybe it took a, us a little while to sort of get to that position, you know, but like. People like Lisa Mezzacapa or stuff like that. She's playing with Rova. Like there, it's all feels like it's all mixed up now. But at the time, I was only playing with people my age, and I was going to see 
Rova. Well, I was going to see I mean, Ben Goldberg. I don't know if that's specific to the time as much as like you pay your dues, and right. once you kind of, you know, log enough hours and become ingratiated, then you right. sort of earn the, you know, the pass to play with you know with everyone. Right. I mean, if you're 25 years old, yeah, and you hit town, you know, 15 minutes ago, right, you don't deserve to play with everyone. No, no, I don't. I didn't feel like I did. Yeah, no, I'm not saying you did. I, I yeah. just, you know, I, I'm pretty sure right now, you know, someone who's been in town for a year, you know, isn't necessarily going to be able to call up Nels Klein and be like, "Hey, let's fucking blow." Right, right. I think on the other side of that, I think it become it can become frustrating because I feel like you you get better in this way, where I've I saw this with so many musicians where it's like. You get to this point where you're like, I'm starting to sound pretty good. And you sort of expect all of a sudden your phone is going to start ringing or everyone is immediately going to start either saying, you know what I mean? And it's like, I think, you know, for younger people, I would want to impart. It's like, it's going to take longer than it should. Yeah. You know, it's like you pay your dues and then some Uh because it's just it's about work. It's about just being around and um and it it's frustrating i know i mean you know like uh many musicians i know just felt like they were being underappreciated mm-hmm. and you know i wasn't one of those people that was like uh resentful of anyone i don't i don't feel like i got that way but i i i understand that it's frustrating mm-hmm. it can be frustrating but I'm not going to complain now mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, being here. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just grateful to be here. And, you know, if anyone, everyone I've played with feels just like, like a blessing kind of, sure. you know? So you were in San Francisco for what? Like over 15 years? Yeah. 17 years. That's a long time. Yeah. Was It, it must've felt like home. Yeah. I think the one one thing that's different from the Bay Area to here is because it's a plus and a minus, you know, no one really pays attention to the Bay Area in this way that, again, you have that level of resentment where people are like, oh, if I were in New York, I'm sure I would be <laughs> right. right getting more attention or stuff like that. I mean, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but. There are some pretty awesome musicians in the Bay, like Ben, who probably, you know, probably took them longer to be noticed because they weren't in New York in the folk, the focus of the the scene, you know? Right. Um, So, but on the positive side, I feel like the Bay allowed people to take chances and be themselves um, in a way that I think was really liberating. Yeah. I mean, you didn't feel like you had to. I feel like a lot of New York musicians, and maybe I don't know if this is intentional or they think about this or not. It's like you see people, especially people who are like well known. It's like they have their bag, sure, and it's like they know that's what's going to get the grants. Mm-hmm. They know that's what they're known for, mm-hmm. et cetera. And it's like it's hard to get out of that in some ways um, and take chances. Not in the Bay Area. It's like, who cares? <laughs> Is it You're still not... like that? I mean, like, I know that it's become prohibitively expensive right. to live there. Right. And the opportunities have, you know, certainly become minimized. 
Right. Is that still the predominant attitude of we're just out here doing our thing? And I mean, here, you know, here, I, th- I think what you see happening a lot, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is at varying levels, people look at like, look, this is a profession. Yeah. And I got to figure out a way to stay relevant, that being the big thing. And that isn't just a professional thing. It's, it's, it's like a an existential thing as well. Uh-huh. Largely, perhaps more so. Um, but people figure out ways to stay relevant to promoters in you know in Europe. And they figure out ways to stay relevant to uh-huh. record labels that offer guarantees and, and wow. things like that. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a question there? I, yeah, you're scaring me. What do I need to be thinking? About? No, I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, sorry. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think about those type of things, certainly not from a um, perspective of what maybe promoters or labels might be thinking, but it's like, I don't know. You tell me. Doesn't it seem like it seems to me that music is changing really fast? Music is changing. Yeah, I feel like the stuff that I hear. I feel like I hear hear more music that is. I I'm start. I start to feel like, wow. Yeah, is the stuff I'm doing just really dated, or is this scene, or, I guess yeah, wanting to feel relevant, maybe on a creative way. Mm-hmm. Not like in a way where I need to keep up with trends so that I can be in on, on in certain festivals, right? Necessarily, but music's changing. That's what it sounds like to me. We're talking about underground improvised music. We're talking about maybe popular just, music. I yeah, maybe just in general. I feel like we're we're at a, a a place where I just feel like there's, and maybe it's just because of access. I mean, I we're at like, I, in my in my opinion at an incredibly low point across the board whether it's you know popular music or improvised music i mean i think improvised music is i mean whatever i don't want to sound like a dick but like a lot of the i hear far less innovation uh-huh than i once did maybe that's more a testament to me getting older and just like yeah losing interest but i mean i hear xeroxes of xeroxes of shit that already happened 50 years ago right and i don't know maybe that's something every 40 year old dude has said since they invented 40-year-old dudes, but, you know. <laughs> right. And then when I listen to popular music, you know, I, I don't hear anything anything worth listening to. Yeah. Like, I, I've become so selective in, in, in what I choose to listen to that part of me is, like, self-congratulatory. Like, that's right. cool. You put in the time to find this really cool thing to listen to. Right. But then there's that part of me that's worried, like, okay, I hear these guys, like, in you know, in bathrooms, in, you know, Ridgewood playing for three people, you know, something that barely resembles music. And I'm, I'm just like, well, am I too old to fucking figure out what that is? Because I'm pretty sure it sounds like, you know, the worst version of something I heard 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. There, there There's some things that give me hope. Like, I, I, I just to give you one example, I think what Colin's doing is... is transcending yeah. genre and technique and all yeah. that stuff. Um, same with uh, John McCohen. John's so deep. Well, I mean, they're similar. They have very yeah. obvious differences. Of course. But 
there are people like that where I'm like, I hear it and I'm like, there's so much left to explore with these instruments. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm just being optimistic, selectively optimistic. No, I mean, there is great stuff, you know, and Colin, you know, like, I, I have nothing bad to say about Colin. I have only positive things to say. He plays his fucking ass off. He has a clarity of vision and a clarity of execution right. that is nothing less than admirable. And he's managed to create a situation for himself where he's able to do really cool projects and sustain a lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Like, that is the goal that we should all have. Yeah. And, you know, there's like, I feel like there is like a certain like faction of improvisers that somehow want to detract from that. And, like, I objectively feel like if you were making a music at the 10th of the level that he was making, like, you might feel less bitter. You are getting a very salty version of me on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast. I don't know what happened. That's okay. Yeah, it is okay. I would not. Is there another version? <laughs> I, I, I would I, I would like to think so. All right, let's get past the saltiness. So you moved here in 2004, 13? Five years ago. What is that? 2014. Yeah. Why, why did you say goodbye to the Bay? Um, how long are the podcasts usually? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, I'm fine to go. I, I, <laughs> I, I had the most... I mean, it is an entertaining story. I don't know if we have the time for it, but the too long didn't read version is. Uh, I had a roommate move into the situation I was in, who was nuts. Really? Like, I think they were. I, I think they were borderline personality disorder, uh -huh. and they were on drugs. And I mean, I literally thought they were going to burn the house down. They had deadbolts. They were drilling into their door. There's a lot of crazy people out there. So that you couldn't get into the room. Yeah. They, um, and they were hunkering down and they were making it very clear they were not going to go easily. Um, I had a relationship fall apart. Okay. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then trying to negotiate staying at that apartment, it, they, they, the landlords made it very clear they were not going to give me any deals. Um, so I just was like, why am I still here? The, the, the city was going to shit, going to shit in that the, it, with, I mean, the, the you know, it, maintaining a creative lifestyle had become unsustainable. I, I would say that tech was really, you know, that second wave was really doing damage yeah. on the city. Yeah. Um, it's bad. I mean, it, I don't know when the last time you were out there, but I would say. And people, you know, when people say things like, oh, man, we're, I feel like we're getting close to the apocalypse. I was like, go to the Bay Area. Like, it's already happening there. <laughs> right. You know, there's like homeless tent cities. Mm -hmm. You OK, this is crazy. I, I went back and was playing with a singer of mine. She was like, check out this gift bag that we got for playing this holiday party. It was basically like air filter masks, like hand warmers, like hand sanitizer. The gift they gave everyone was basically an apocalypse preparedness kit. Right. Because the, the air is so bad there with all the, um, they have this a fire season there. Yeah, now. the fire season, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, if that's the future, like with tech and all those companies that are, you know, I, I mean, we're fucked. 
if those are the people who are in control of the future. <laughs> so you jumped out of one frying pan into the other frying pan here. Yeah, right. Um, I know that's sad when you're like, oh, I want to move somewhere cheaper like New York. <laughs> <laughs> Which... But, it's you know, not true, but you know I have family here, so I there was a lot of things. Yeah, your family's over like, here. Plus, a lot of people like like I had already you know Chess was living here, Trevor was living here, Shannon Dunkelman, Ava Mendoza. A lot of people had already come this way, and there was a mass migration right around right before I moved. So I was literally like, I think it had reached that critical mass where all of a sudden I was like, I don't even need to meet anyone to have a band. Yeah, in New York, I can call all people I know. It's all people I love, you know, and played with with years and um, make something happen pretty easily. So that was good. Yeah. Ava had just I think Ava when did, was like maybe a couple of years before okay. me. Um, this other guy I was playing with, Dominique Leone, uh-huh. who Ava and I were in a band with. He moved out here around the same time as me. And I love that guy. And I was like, Is ready still to around? play with him. He's not doing music and re- that much. He just put out an album, but he's not really like performing. Um, he had a kid, got yeah. married. But I, yeah, I was like, you know, all my favorite people to play with are moving out here. There's no, I, I let me just say this. There's still some great musicians in the Bay. Of course. Of course. Um, and you know what they tell me? That the scene is actually doing, is really thriving right now. Yeah. That's what I hear. Because I feel like it's so hard. They've really banded together. They're starting new labels. You know, there's 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 a bunch of people there who are still God bless them. You know, I mean, I've never been able to get a gig in San Francisco. That's I've I've why contact, didn't you ask me? I'd get help you. I've contacted every venue that I know of out there, yeah, and never gotten even as much as a response. So where did you play when you went out there? You never, never played, played out San there. Francisco. That's a travesty. I would tend to agree. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, do you want to? deconstruct that on the podcast no 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 why how to fix that it must be something with my email style that's no because i i I mean okay maybe it must but it has to be i can think of a bunch of people who would would be stoked i think to help you out or at least do a bill with you i mean i don't know what that's about that's crazy to me so you come here in 2014 yeah summer sure Around there, yeah. Yeah. August, something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Right, because I, I tracked you down. Yeah, at the at the fish place. Yeah. Yeah. Russ and Daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Um and Yeah, just started um playing a little bit. Um just started to get my bearings. I don't know. How's it been since you I mean it's like five years already. I know. It's That's a crazy. While. It's been good, you know. Uh, I don't really know. Like, <laughs> played some gigs, started some bands. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it's interesting here. Um, I still don't feel like I've totally gotten my bearings yet. Yeah, I feel like every venue I've played when I moved out here doesn't exist anymore. That's, I feel like things are more transient here than the Bay. That's unfortunately, uh, like, that's what it is right now. I mean, New York's always changing. Yeah. Always. I feel like this is, like, my biggest lesson that I realized when I saw, I feel like New York 
is that hard lesson. Like we were talking about that hard talk yeah. versus the nice talk. New York is like no one. I, if you want to do something, you have to like do all the work yourself. Yep. You have to, if you want to like be part of a cool series, you need to start a cool series. <laughs> like if you want to ha- be, uh, you know, in cool bands, you have to start those cool bands or yeah. interesting bands. No one's going to just give all that stuff to you. And I feel like maybe I was coddled because coming out of the Bay Area, I knew promoters, I knew bookers, I knew all these people I could just call up if I needed a gig. That would be like, yeah, sure. Here's the bill. Here's the venue. Da, da, da. It's like everything was set up. So coming out here, all of a sudden I was like, I had to convince people I wasn't a no name. I had to, you know, like every, yeah, starting yeah, yeah. over, it was like everything was just like, um, you know, venues being like, well, do you want to play the happy hour, <laughs> you know, right. five o'clock show mm-hmm. or like things where I'm just like, not that I'm too old for that shit, but just... Um, just trying to like get gigs. So I feel like, yeah, it's a lot of work being here. I mean, I'm still, you know, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like being here mm-hmm. and I'm inspired. I sort of look at it this way. My, one of my first gigs, you actually gave me this gig uh-huh. with um, uh, uh, Steve Swell. Yeah. At the stone. Yeah. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, see, if I stayed in the Bay, this never would have happened. I got to play with, Ned Rothenberg and yeah. um, Steve Swell. And so I sort of look at it that way. It's like everyone I meet or um, ev- anything I experience, um, I'm just grateful for. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I don't regret leaving the Bay. I mean, I don't think there was much left to mine Yeah, um, out there. So, I mean, let's talk because you have, you're about to do a week at the Stone. Yeah, right. And I... I and it's my first one ever. Yeah. But correct me if I'm wrong, you are releasing five records? Yeah. Am I, am I wrong? No, no. Five records in well, conjunction with Yeah, the... you tell me. I I thought that would be cool because I don't think anyone's done that. Has no, anyone really ever done that? A record a day. <laughs> like been like, oh, I'm going to release an Not album every, for yeah, every right, show. Yeah. Um. And part of that, yeah, I think part of the idea was I had this stuff that kind of has been building up. Just little projects, like yeah. nothing where I, I think on their own I would have been like, oh, my God, hey, check this out. I Weird thing. Uh, but I think, you know, like coming here, it, it feels like a good time for me to just sort of clean house. Clean you house. Know? Yeah, just sort of like all the stuff that I've been working on here. Yeah. You know, um, different projects I had started when I moved out here. Um, yeah, one other thing I'd say about moving out here that I thought was cool, it's like n- n- the fact that no one knew who I was. Mm-hmm. I ha- sort of had this feeling where it's like I could do whatever I wanted and people would just, would no one would bat an eye. I mean, that's the whole idea of moving to a new place is that you can yeah. sort of reinvent yourself. And I got really into that. Like I only was playing B flat clarinet, which was like, to me was like not my main instrument, right. just something I wanted to work on to get better on and writing in different styles. I normally wouldn't have. I mean, I was really just sort of just trying to, and you know, not necessarily like, Oh, I'm going to do, this is going to be my New York thing. And I'm going to like try and do stuff to like mimic other people here sure 
you know, I definitely had like some close friends of mine who were just like, when you go to New York, just be yourself, you know, don't listen to what anyone else says. They're lucky to have you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not, don't let it get, you know, and there's a part, part of that's true, but I have to say after moving here, the vibe, um, I, I did sort of get the sense where it's like some of the stuff I was doing didn't, I was like, that's San Francisco music. Huh. That's not New York music. And not that I was like trying to fit in, but the music didn't fit in. Do you know what I mean? Do you hear the, you I, understand yeah, the difference? Yeah, no, I, I, where I just was like, I'm going to play that music. And it's like, people are going to relate to it because that doesn't feel like people's lives here. Like people, I feel like a lot of like New York and a lot of the music scene here is informed by New York. Totally. You know, it's no like really asked. like the intensity of the city, all of that stuff. It's not a coincidence that the music is so intense. It's also not a, a coincidence that New York jazz in 2019 is as bureaucratic and idiotic as the MTA. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> the MTA is so fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but no, there there is a sound between yeah yeah city to city there's always i mean regional improvisation yeah that's that's the thing so i'm looking at that as like feeling inspired by new york the city yeah not like new york like oh i gotta sound like that guy so i can get gigs like he's getting right yeah i mean i'm always in sort of i had this this feeling today i saw this guy riding a bicycle over on um i was on avenue d and I, it was just this brief moment of seeing this guy ride his bicycle where I was like, ah, sometimes New York is still New York. Like, as, as aggressively as they're, like, grinding over us. Yeah. You know, just, it was a sun-soaked street. I could hear Mr. Softy. There yeah. was a guy doing shaved ice and, a, and, like, a guy riding past on a bicycle. I was like, ah, right here at this very moment, this is still New York. And I think about the things that I love about New York, the things that I'm inspired by in New York. Yeah, right. The Williamsburg Bridge. Tompkins Square Park, you know, like any, you know, uh, I I do feel res- that I think that's what I feel responsible to. I want things that I love, I want to pay tribute to them in my way, and the things that I I feel a genuine sense of rom uh, of romance for, like again, the Williamsburg Bridge, Tompkins yeah. Square Park, uh, the Met, you know, yeah, yeah. No, it's such a. I mean, it's such a crazy and beautiful. Um, city. Um, you know, I'd, I'd also been reading a bunch of, like, I love memoirs uh-huh. from people who lived in New York. Like who? Um, I read a couple recently. I'll say that the Kim Gordon memoir oh, yeah. was it's a big inspiration. It's called The Girl in the Band or yeah. something? Yeah. So she's talking about hanging out in Alphabet City. Yeah. And all these neighborhoods that were crazy back then. Yeah, junkies just, only. Yeah, and hearing what, uh, Manhattan was like then. Um, I read Samuel Delaney's memoir. I don't know. He's a a science fiction writer. Okay. Who, he's also uh, African-American and gay. Okay. And he lived in the village. um, And this was during the 50s and 60s. Super, I mean, again, I love hearing about Manhattan and New York from that time. But also super like you know totally illuminating i didn't know what it was like to be gay pre-stonewall which is good you know we're just having the anniversary 50th anniversary of stonewall 
Like, it was crazy. He got married to a woman because it was not acceptable to be a gay person yeah. back then. He had to pretend to be straight. Yeah. Which seems mind-boggling now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was what people did. Yeah. And his wife knew. You know, she let him go out and do whatever he was going to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the city, R- R- Ring Olevio. I don't know if you've ever checked out that book. That guy's insane. Who is it? Um, he grew up in Brooklyn, I think. Uh, he was this, like, uh, I think, you know, either Irish or Italian, but so sort of like that old school white Brooklyn uh, kind of character. Um, it's a crazy book but it's just again I love hearing you know he ended up like robbing all these rich people he was like a petty criminal yeah and um, I just love hearing like like he would do things where you know all these hippies moved into the Lower East Side and were like we're gonna clean up the neighborhood and da 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 and all the Hispanic people there were like fuck you you white gentrifiers coming into this neighborhood thinking you're gonna like turn it into whatever you know and he came in and he was like he ended up like bribing like mobsters who like who were like running the garbage services to come in and it was like so there was like this whole weird element where he was like you guys don't know how to do this i know how to do this i grew up in new york yeah you know what i mean it just was like so it's so new york like yeah it's just like everything i love about like all it's like layers yeah that's what some friend of mine who grew up here told me he's like every neighborhood is like five different layers of communities built on top of communities built on top of communities yeah So let's talk about the Stone Residency. I, sorry, I mean I'm just no, no, no. Yeah. Five nights. Is it five nights or is it four? It's still five. Okay. Right. Yeah. So what do you have? What do you have cooking? Um, well, uh, some of the some of the projects that I'm releasing EPs from are playing. The one you and I play in. Uh huh. Um, which how would you describe that? Uh, you tell me. Well, I'm curious. Two clarinets, two guitars, and if I'm not mistaken for this gig, two percussionists. Yeah. Like vibes and uh, glockenspiel, I think it's going to be. Okay. That's going to be a separate piece, I think. I think we're going to do the piece we do, and then I'm going to have this separate piece that I think will be like a like an intro or like a shorter little okay. piece. Um, and uh, I have this other piece, Adot, which I wrote while living in Brooklyn. Um, this friend of mine was renovating his house in Brooklyn and he let me stay there. This is right when I moved there, uh-huh. uh, moved out back. And it, it was this really like intense winter. Let me think. When was that? 2014. Was there one? That was, a, that was a bad one. I mean, I want to say by November it had snowed more than most winters. Yeah. Period. By November. Yeah. Um, and I was in this four story apartment by myself. And I had this, it was a total like shining Jack Nicholson vibe. I was like hearing stuff. Um, It it was a little bit like unnerving. Mm -hmm. And then there's people working on it. It was this whole mess. So I wrote that piece during that whole thing. And um, 
that's kind of almost like a jazz music. Okay. That's, yeah. But again, something like totally like, I was like, I've never done anything that's like swing or jazzy. I was like, I'm and that's what this is? Uh, yeah, I'm going to try. Blown over the changes? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I've just never done anything with like swing feel. Right. And I feel like I was wondering, um, I'd been, I'd started watching videos. There's like these Marsalis, um, I forget which guy it is. Jason Marsalis, where he's going off about jazz, like basically what I would call our scene uh-huh. as being bullshit. Right. Being like, you guys don't understand the history. You're just playing in odd meters and taking 30 minute solos and, or whatever. And, yeah. and, and it was like, again, we were going back to what we were talking about where it's like, at first you're like, fuck you. And then I'm like, Oh, like, like, what can I get from this actually? Uh. <laughs> so, so I was sort of like, what can, I don't know. I was just sort of wondering what I could get out of that. Like maybe there's something there because I do think that's that's weird that there is so much straight feel music in this scene and not a lot of swing. Uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's, yeah, it is weird. Um, I don't totally know what he's talking about. I mean, there's like part of me that was like, is he shitting on Steve Coleman? Is he shitting on like people like Tim Byrne, Kneebody? I was like still trying to figure when out. When was the interview from? I, Roughly? Five years ago, 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, he's probably shitting on all those people. I mean, there's a lot of like, probably like, why are these guys getting gigs at the places I want to get gigs? Sure, of course. That's what right? jazz music is. Yeah, but <laughs> it's funny. Um, also, I don't was any of the any of the wedding stuff mentioned, like the fact that I'm getting married. Or we talked about that earlier. I yeah, we talked about that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm having a wedding before the stone, and basically, I decided to invite a bunch of my musician friends out from the Bay Area. Right. And I was like, hey, come to my wedding and then we'll play these like that were actually that's actually excellent. Yeah, I turned it into a positive. Yeah. So I have a, a number of friends of mine. That Shakuhachi player uh-huh. pl- uh is coming out. a uh, bunch of other friends. Lisa Mezzacappa will be here. You turned that into a huge positive. Yeah. I and you know, you could say I tried to sweeten the deal. <laughs> I feel like, hey, if you come out to my wedding, you can play the stone. That's a huge positive. Yeah, it'll be a positive for me, too, because it'll also feel like my people. Yeah. You know, my community and as transition. So there'll be those groups, groups with people like you that I met uh-huh. when I'm here. Um, I got a group with like Patrick Holmes uh-huh. and Steve Swell. Uh-huh. Um, those dudes, Thomas Heber, are people I've only met here. So I think it'll be a nice mix. Yeah. Uh, and are you gonna have like the are are you are all five releases coming out concurrently with the? Well, what happened was I uh, hired some publicists to, um, and they were like, "That's a terrible idea." Okay. <laughs> they were like, "You can't release five albums in one week. No one's gonna listen to that and review it." And da 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 da. So I ended up making a compilation, which okay. I just gave you, um, featuring all of them. And then they're going to release once a month until the end of the year. Yeah, that's better. You know, I you know I was really into that idea. Yeah, but I get it. 
It'll be fine. But all the It'll music's done. It's ready to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all mastered and everything. I think that's the only one I'm making a CD for is the... Uh, the rest is going to be digital? I think so. I might... We can talk about this later. Push for, like, the No Signal might have a CD. Yeah. Because there's, like, one or two that I was, like, could maybe go a little... Get a little bit more out yeah. of if I had a physical copy. But you're going to so, do Bandcamp? Probably Bandcamp. Bandcamp's good, I think. Yeah, are you into it now? Or I know, I'm into Bandcamp. I know you've, you've shit on it in the past. No, 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 I haven't shit on it. I just, I feel, I, I, they're, I, I don't mean to shit on it. I think Bandcamp is an incredible tool. And I've recently been buying a lot of music on Bandcamp. And I feel like... It's almost like this parallel universe to Spotify. It's where, the exact opposite. Exactly. If, they, if that was a streaming platform, I would only listen to music through Bandcamp. And I would listen to my friend's music and music that was like, and I wouldn't listen to any commercial music. Yeah. Unless it was, I, I think that's, they, they. I hope they don't do that. Really? Yeah. Really. I mean, I know like, but. Because every time I download something on Bandcamp, I look at it as like, ah, I found a jewel. I found a jewel. I found a jewel. I don't want to it's open up really Bandcamp. It's really slowly becoming an indispensable. I think in between the time you had said what you had said about Bandcamp and now some stuff has changed. Bandcamp is, as you just said, the direct opposite of that horseshit that is Spotify. And I have, I don't have Spotify. I have an Apple Music account. Yeah. I open up Apple Music when I say I want to listen to Bob Dylan. I want to listen to right, sure. Neil Young. I want to listen to whatever the fuck, I want, you know, that, that thing. Right. And then a lot of underground music as well. I go to Bandcamp when I'm like, I know there's a super deep improviser from France who just made a record. Right. And like, I need to hear it. And I know he's on there. They also do, which is, it's overwhelming, but they'll have these things where it'll be like Peruvian experimental music from 1970, a primer, yeah, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, it is straight up for people that love underground music. Yeah. It's crazy. You will not go to Bandcamp to download. Um, I don't know. A new, a new Radiohead record. Right. Or Kanye. Like, that's not yeah. what you go to Bandcamp for. Yeah. Yeah, God bless Bandcamp. And it's so easy. What else do we need to talk about? <laughs> what do we miss? I don't know. I feel like that was, like, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, you've got your work cut out for you. You're going to get married, do a week at the stone, and then put out five records. Yeah. That's a lot. It is. But, you know, the fact that I'm, it's being spread out, I feel like I have like time to get the next stuff ready. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm ready for whatever's next. Yeah. You know? And can just not be in the past anymore. Fuck the past. (laughs) All right. I appreciate you talking, Aaron. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. All right. That was Aaron Novick. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. He's a good guy, and um, if I got a little salty there at times, I apologize. Check Aaron out this week at The Stone. His residency starts tomorrow night, July 16th. Check out the full schedule. Go to thestonenyc.com. Come see me play this Friday. I'll be there with Aaron uh, in a group with Ava Mendoza, Nick Millivoy, Shana Dunkelman, Aaron, and Chess Smith. Go to AaronNovik.com. Check out his uh, new series of releases. And that's it. 
Uh, maybe we won't be back next week. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.